0: bless now the hearing of your word and this cracked vessel through which you pour it. Thank you, Lord, for making yourself known through small and wonderful things like music, prayer, and the preaching of the word. Amen. You know, there's an Eastern tradition that goes way back of when sacred vessels that are used in in holy worship and things like that get broken, that they repair them with gold. They fill the cracks with gold. They bind the broken pieces together with gold. And in that way, they're actually more valuable now that they're broken. And so when I pray that prayer, that's what I always think is, you know, basically, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit so that for a moment I am more than the substance of me, you know. And that's what we always want to do as spirit-led people. That's a lot of what we're gonna talk about today because honest to goodness, this has been, the last couple of weeks have been some of the toughest preaching I've ever done because I'm trying to cover a large span of biblical reading and history. Now, for those who don't know, we've been reading the entire Bible with the goal to finish it in 90 days from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation since April 11th. And we have small groups meeting all over the church family that are working together to encourage each other. So I want to say, well done, and don't give up. If you've gotten behind, don't let that bother you. Talk to your group. You can do this, and you'll be so glad you did. And I think that given the world events of today, you are beginning to realize how really remarkable the Bible is as a resource informing you of how things really work. You know, that's the irony that, that uh, has always puzzled me, is that when we were ignorant of the Bible, we ask God a whole lot of questions about why, and when we start reading the Bible, we, we know why. And then our questions change, and the conversation with God changes. So why is this such an important thing to do, this reading the entire Bible together? Because it gives you a biblical worldview, and that changes everything. A biblical worldview helps you know that right now, in the Middle East, they're living out the same patterns that you've been reading about in your Old Testament. That people from the land of the Philistines are attacking the people of Israel and the people of Israel are suffering because they probably need to repent. Now, I'm not just saying that just categorically, I'm just saying it's a pattern that we've witnessed over and over again in the Bible and why shouldn't that pattern just keep on? Because this is the Bible telling us that the creator, the one who made everything, right down to the microscopic DNA that has so many characteristics in common between species and and things, right? And you know, why shouldn't that creator who, well, as much as we hate to hear it, even created the fallen angel who became the one we call Satan. But he created him good. In fact, really gloriously good. And then it went to his head and this same angel repents or unrepentantly rebels against God. Right. And, and so God knows how things work. God understands how things work because God made the thing. And so why shouldn't this pattern that God has described and even foresaw when he spoke blessings and curses through Moses Why wouldn't we see this continuing right on through? And so people who live under the old covenant are still subject to the blessings and curses of the old covenant. And people who live under the new covenant through Jesus Christ have a whole different experience. And this is what we're going to try to talk about today. And most of you in your reading are somewhere in the Chronicles and you're going, Why do I have to listen to all the same stories again? I know. You're laughing because it's true. Why do I have to listen to these lists of names and places and tribes? And for goodness sakes, what's the point? Please tell us, Pastor Dan, what's the point? Nah, you gotta figure that out on your own. Well, at least I can't do that here. But if you are in that Facebook community that I created called Knowing God with Heart and Mind, I do deal with stuff daily, and, I, and I'm very frank in that, you know, because it's an environment where I can just speak plainly about things that puzzle us when we read the Bible, even some of the more, uh, you know, colorful things. And, and so there's a resource there I hope you will take advantage of, especially your group leaders, so that when you're having discussion, you can get my opinion and not have to lose your class to me. <laughs> There's a reason I've been staying out of your classes, and that's because I preach. (laughs) It's what I do. (laughs) But I want to say to you that as you've read, I hope you're beginning to see this biblical worldview taking shape. It, It starts with God preparing the chosen people for the promised land where they're going to live in harmony with God. That's the idea. That was the goal. And so God instructs them, as you've often heard me say lately, from everything from toe fungus to national repentance. I mean, like, he covers the span of it all. And you think, why does God have to tell them, don't eat roadkill? Everybody knows that stuff will kill you, but everybody didn't know it. Or he wouldn't have told them. You see, what you might might begin to understand now, for example is that the reason Solomon was such an extraordinary character because of his wisdom is probably because he was one of the few people that that part of history uh, ever witnessed filled with the spirit of God. And this is a state of being that we take for granted. But in those days, the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God came upon few people for a few purposes at a limited time. And Solomon was the only guy that really prayed for a general outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon himself. He didn't call it that. He didn't know to call it that, but that's what he did. And if you read through your Old Testament, you've probably noticed that that there have been times, say, like when Bezalel is creating the things for the tabernacle. And it says that the Spirit came upon him so he could do that. In other words, the spirit came for a limited time for limited purposes. But on Solomon, there came a general spirit-given wisdom that up to that point had never been seen. So think about that. What's changing in the biblical worldview is that the cycles are repeating because people default back to their sort of chaotic, animalistic nature unless God intervenes and God always seems to intervene through spirit-filled people like Moses, like Joshua, like the judges, like David. But then Solomon says those people were all up to a point pretty good at this, but it doesn't seem to fix everything. So Lord, I'd like to know what you could do in me that would make me able to change that paradigm. Let's talk, let's talk about the biblical worldview as it applies to your home, to your family. How many of you have perhaps been raised in settings that you don't like and you've tried to reproduce something different in your life? You know what I'm saying? If you were the parent, uh, if your parent or your, your uh, family of origin was, was, you know, less than desirable in some way, it was ugly. There was pain, there was suffering, there was, there was uh, uh, abuse, you know, there were things that, that you didn't like about the way you grew up. And you said to yourself, boy, when I raise my family, we're going to do it differently. Now maybe everybody could relate to that on some level because we all try to exceed our parents. And as a parent, I'm I'm all, I'm good with that. <clears throat> I hope my children will be better at everything than I was at that respective age. That's all right with me. So be it. But imagine then that you're Solomon and you've become the king. And you've looked at all the chaos that ensued in the midst of David being both the man after God's own heart and this nutty character who who at times did things that were downright criminal. Don't we, we don't even want to talk about I I could do a whole sermon about David and Bathsheba and you'd go away going, ooh, you don't want to know how really criminal what he did was. You don't. But. For now, we're looking at the big picture. Why wouldn't Solomon say, man, Lord, I want, I want to do this better. I really want to do this better. And so he, he seeks that. And the Lord says, you know, because you didn't ask for trivial things, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And if you asked me, that was a little bit like Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on Solomon or like he did the Apostles. And suddenly, Solomon sees and understands the world in a way that only its creator could know it. But, you know, as my father used to say all the time, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And wouldn't you know, sooner or later, Solomon... You know, he started believing all the press releases that his media team was putting out about him, you know. Smartest man in the world, you know. Richest man in the world. And, and you know, he, he listened to his advisors, and you know one of the most wisdom-filled things a person can do is to listen to advisors and then sometimes say, yeah, thanks for that, but I'm gonna do what I think is best. I mean, it's important to surround yourself with With advisors and and wisdom and and surround yourself with skill uh, and and talent that you don't possess. That's a very important leadership quality. Once again, the Bible informs us by the creator that this is a good thing up until it's not because you really need to think about the people you surround yourself with and you need to think about the kind of wisdom and, and advice you get. And as a strong Christian leader you have to have the courage to say thank you for your advice however this time I'm going to do this because it feels like that's ultimately my responsibility. So strong leaders know that they're ultimately responsible and what happens to Solomon well when you get and this is where the Bible because I wanted to I have so many things I want to talk to you about today. And there just isn't enough time. And Courtney's running a watch on me right now. So you heard her already. So she, she's, she's tick, 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 tick. They all know that you're just vivid up there. Yeah, well, there's so much to cover here. And, and one of the things I want to do, because I want to encourage you in your Bible reading. And if you haven't begun the B90, guess what? All you got to do is go home today, open your Bible to page one and start. It'll be okay. And if you want people to encourage you and help you along the way, just see if there's anybody else who hasn't started yet who'd like to join you in the journey starting today. It'll be okay. But what I want to tell you is is that you're getting into a pretty dicey place right now and you're reading because it's going to be very tempting to get confused and frustrated because we're going to finish Chronicles and then you're going to hear about Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding Jerusalem. And And you're gonna like, "Whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> So we went all the way down to the civil war between the North and the South, and then the North gets taken away, never to be seen in its former glory ever again, and then the South kind of disappears, but they hold it together in a unique way that is still manifest to this day in Jerusalem and israel and and then all of a sudden they're back rebuilding and everything, and Cyrus is saying, Go for it, Nehemiah and Ezra." Build the temple, build the walls. It'll be all right. And then suddenly we're going to read about uh, Mordecai and and uh, uh, I wanted to say Ruth, but it's Esther. Thank you very much. I get Ruth and Esther mixed up in my head all the time. I don't know why. Both wonderful, amazing women. But uh, you're going to read about that, and then you read about Job. And honestly, Job is a, is a book that it wouldn't really matter where they placed it. It wouldn't make sense to you because it's, really, it's, it's considered the oldest piece of literature in the Bible. And so the book of Job could pretty much go anywhere in the Bible as far as timeline goes. So, so at this point, it would be nice if the Bible was written in a chronological way, but it's not. And so as you leave the reconstruction of Jerusalem behind, all of a sudden you're going to spend the next Weeks visiting literature that was composed and created during the Civil War and the eventual fall of the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. So I want to inform you of that, so that you're not, you know, like like just just take the halftime show of Ezra Nehemiah and. Uh, uh, Esther and Job. You know, just take that and just in, indulge in it as it is, and just embrace it as it is. There's important lessons in all of those, and we'll talk about them. And then read the Psalms and the Proverbs and all of that. And eventually, you'll get to a place where you're reading stuff that Solomon wrote, right? Remember when we did Proverbs? I told you if Proverbs was or not Proverbs. I'm sorry, um, Ecclesiastes. That's what I meant to say. We did Ecclesiastes. Remember when we were doing Ecclesiastes, I said, man, if Ecclesiastes wasn't written by a clinically depressed person, then I don't have any other explanation for it. So you said, okay, wait a minute. You were talking about Solomon and then you went all over the place. Well, welcome to the Bible, right? Welcome to the Old Testament. And then you finally get back to Solomon again and he's alive and well and he's opining about everything because he's bored and he doesn't have anything else to do because his advisors are running everything and he's running it right into the ground because he's not the leader anymore, right? And so he's sitting up in his high place watching all of this stuff that he thinks he did and his advisors are running without his spirit-led wisdom and he starts writing, That's what you're going to read, right? And and then at some point, you're going to realize that while this guy has let go of the wheel and Israel's just going all over the road, the next thing you're going to realize is is that the prophets are showing up to tell them why this is not going to end well. Okay? So I I wanted to take time to just kind of give you that sort of 100,000-foot view of of what you're going to read because it's going to be confusing, but, but just stick with it. And and understand that we're visiting the same span of time over and over again. And God has a purpose in it. Because it's a biblical worldview. And this biblical worldview that informs you as a Christian believer will become more and more clear. Because you have something from a new covenant that they didn't have in the old covenant and that is the Holy Spirit. So the next thing I wanna point out to you is is that we live in a world that has been so dramatically impacted by Christianity and really the Holy Spirit <clears throat> that we take so many things for granted <clears throat> that, that we're almost victims of our ignorance. And so we don't realize that if you're a student of history, you realize that, that renaissances, industrial revolutions, Medical advancements, um, you know, just the discovery of the power of fossil fuels and, and all of these things that have enriched and enhanced life, they all came after the church was born and the Holy Spirit was given. Just read your history books. I'm not trying to work my religion into history to make it fit some paradigm, it's a fact that the world was somewhat less sophisticated before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Most of the great technological innovations, uh, say of the Egyptians and, and the Greeks and the Romans, they, they were great up to a point, right? There was a, there was a limit, like they, they hit a wall, like they, they reached the limit of human ingenuity. And then somehow there's this explosive change that comes a couple of thousand years ago in the way the world works. Well, probably if you read your Bible, which is a book put together by the one who created it, it's probably because he's telling you that with the Spirit's help, even in the darkest places where one or two are gathered in his name, He's there, and things happen. So we find ourselves living in a world so radically impacted by the new covenant that we take it for granted, and that's why we're so frustrated and confused reading about life during the old covenant, because we can't comprehend how it works that way. But keep in mind that even today, even this week, as we've been watching the news and listening to not only the news in the Middle East, but just news in general, we're seeing what life outside the covenant with Jesus, through Jesus, causes. We're seeing what life under the old covenant causes. And then we see what life apart from a covenant relationship with the true God, the one creator, causes. See it. Watch TV. Can you believe it? Pastor Dan said? Watch TV. Choose your news sources wisely. <laughs> None of them are good, in my opinion, but gather the information and decide for yourself and then apply what you know about history and see if you don't draw some conclusions Based on your reading of the Bible, that shaped things in a new way. Why are we going through this tedious journey with the people of Israel? Well, you know what? Under Solomon, they were a superpower. I wrote an article this week in the, uh, uh, I don't even remember, I write so much, I can't remember where I put it, but Jim's one of the few people that I can count on to read whatever I write because he's just a glutton for punishment. So you could tell me later where I wrote this, but, but basically it was lessons from a fallen superpower. Because guess what? If you wanna know what happened to the superpower called Israel under Solomon, read it in your Bible and then ask yourself if any superpowers that you might be familiar with today aren't in danger of following, following the same path. Aren't you glad you're reading your Bible? It's so cool. So I want to close with this. This week, you're going to read from the Psalms if you're starting at April 11th, like I did, and you're going to read a very familiar Psalm. Let's read it now. Psalm 23. Some of you know this one by heart, and you can just say it. Whenever I read this one, I always encourage people to just say it out loud if they know it, because it just feels good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God add blessing to the hearing and speaking of his word. So when you get to that 23rd Psalm, we're doing it again. We're going back in time. And David is hiding from Solomon. He's oppressed severely by someone who's just a little bit nuts. Did anybody else come to the conclusion that Solomon is, at the very least, got a uh, personality problem? Solomon, I mean, Saul. So much to cover in such a short amount of time. Oh, Esther, Ruth, Mordecai, Solomon, Saul, David. So... It's also fun, though, and, and he's hiding out, probably in En Gedi. You heard En Gedi mentioned in David's story. En Gedi is, is one of these places in the desert lands there in the area south and east of Jerusalem. Where the Dead Sea is, and it's just brown everywhere. Now, some of you've been there, so you know it's just it's just nothing but this sandy brown color everywhere. And in the summer, the heat is oppressive. Nothing lives out there in that desert. Uh, one of the people I met in Israel a few years ago said that, that all the Jewish people in Israel are convinced that God made the world, and then He put all the leftover rocks in Israel. And it's like that over there. It's just rocks and rocks and rocks and rocks, and But down in the cracks, they call them wadis over there, but these canyons and cracks that go back into the cliff sides around the Dead Sea Basin. Down in there, there are springs where fresh water bubbles up all year long. And down in those cracks, there is shade. Because as the sun passes over, those cliff sides provide shade from death. And so you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And what do you find there? There are green things, shepherds watering their flocks, guiding them with the rod. There are people cooling themselves in the water, refreshing themselves. There are little caves that are cool all year long. And and David maybe is sitting in the mouth of one of these caves watching the little waterfall at En Gedi, just trickling away and watching the life. And he's thinking about how bad he's got it because old Saul's after him and Saul is just not going to give up until he kills him. And, and what's worse is he's being misunderstood, falsely accused. And, and it's like, if, we, if he just wanted to kill me, that would be fine. But he doesn't even have a valid reason. So David's depressed and discouraged and frustrated. And, and then he starts doing something every one of us should do. Every time we get a little depressed or a little discouraged, he starts counting his blessings. Oh, wait a minute. Look at me. I'm out here in the middle of the desert. I'd like to be back in the city in my house, but I can't be there. But look where I am. God has cupped me in his hand like this valley has cupped me in its hands. You know, he's taken me to this place of refuge where an enemy would have a hard time getting to me and I would have plenty of time to figure out what to do. And in this place of refuge, I'm in the shadow of certain death. I'm receiving all the nourishment and feeding I need. I have it pretty good, all things considered. And that's what that psalm tells us. And so you say, well, you know, that David is really one messed up character. And it's hard to figure out what to think of him. But it's at moments like this that you understand why God loved him. Because he would have these moments of serene peace. And he realized that there was only one source for that. Only one true source. And it was God. It was the love of God. And he knew better than most what happened when you acted for the benefit of your flesh and what happened when you entirely devoted yourself to god he understood the blessings and the curses of the old covenant because he lived them out he was he was one man who was the epitome of everything god had illustrated through the prophetic words of moses and now we live under a new covenant. And our valley in the shadow of death is in our heart because it's the Holy Spirit, because we don't have to run to a place in order to escape the oppressor, which is sin and death, Satan, and the evil in the world. We, we don't have to run to a place of refuge for that. We have it in our heart because when we accept Christ as our savior and then are born again in the Holy Spirit, and Getty lives in our heart, this oasis, this refuge, this life, this place where everything is OK. And the thing that makes it OK is knowing that this is not all there is. And Again, your biblical worldview being shaped by your study of the scriptures, is going to inform you of that in a way that if it has not yet, it will eventually give you such a confidence and certainty about life after death, it'll give you such a confidence and certainty that when you turn your life over to Christ and accept that you can't do anything to win righteousness in God's eyes, but through Christ you are righteous in God's eyes, when you begin to really grasp that, all of a sudden you realize that your eternal life starts right in that moment. And it's really not a question of how long you have to live on earth, it's a question of you have all of eternity And it really just gets better and better for your soul, even while for a little while it gets worse and worse for your body. And it changes your whole outlook on everything because the one who made it is telling you how it works. And that is the good news. That's what we call gospel, the good news. And the only good news that's universally good for everybody comes in that message, You might not interpret your Bible the way I interpret mine. You might not interpret things with your religion the way I interpret mine. But the one thing we all agree is good news is that there's something more to this existence than this temporary life on earth in a sin-oppressed world. And that is the universal good news we call the gospel. Wow, we've covered a lot of territory. Better just stop and pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Burn it into our hearts. And wherever I've failed and confused people, Lord, just fix it with your Holy Spirit, we pray. And maybe just like those cracked vessels with the gold in their fractures, something more valuable will result. This is my hope and desire. Amen. Amen. <music>